My name is Peter. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Amen. I'm grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And again, thank uh, you guys for having me up here uh, to share my experience, strength, and hope. Uh, God separated me from alcohol June 23rd, 1988. Uh, I get to share with you that I'm a recovered alcoholic because that's been made my truth. And um, anything less than that would be falsely humble. Uh, June 23rd, 1988, uh, God separated me from alcohol for the last time. Um, I'm okay with saying the last time. I'm okay with saying the seven treatment center was my last treatment center uh, because I get to experience a day-to-time permanent sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, relapse is not a requirement for recovery. I know there's some people out there who talk about that, that relapse is, a, is a, a part of recovery, and that's just nonsense. It's not in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We bottom out, we surrender, and God does for us what we can do for ourselves. And so uh, my last treatment center was in 1988. I entered treatment June 23, 1988, after six treatment centers. And um, I really wasn't sure if this thing called recovery was going to be a part of my life. Because the voice in my head kept telling me, who are you kidding? And um, about six months, almost six months uh, into um, recovery, I was recovering. I wasn't recovered. And I wasn't using. And I looked like a drunk without a drink in me. And I was behaving many times inappropriately. And I didn't have meeting etiquette. I didn't even have social etiquette. I didn't even know what etiquette was. You know, it was all about me all the time. No matter what was going on, it was about me. I maybe would sit in a meeting, have my hand up, but they didn't pick on me, so I'd I'd, uh, uh, gossip about the speaker that they didn't call on me. It was always about me. If I walked into a room, I felt everyone was looking at me. When I left the room, I thought they were all talking about me. And uh, I was in total bondage. And December 22nd, 1988, a day shy of my six-month AA birthday, um, I was uh, looking to drink. And I wanted to drink. And the only thing that kept me from drinking was this power called God, because God wanted me sober. And um, I was going to drink, and I I planned it, and if I didn't drink, I was going to get some dry goods. I just couldn't take the pain of being sober without any kind of solution. And I was making meetings. And I found out the lessons in that much later on, that meetings don't treat alcoholism. God couldn't what if he was sought. And uh, I remember... uh, Making a prayer, I was driving in a rent-a-wreck in, uh, that's what they called it, a rent-a-wreck in Minnesota. I was driving down something called Washington Avenue. Um, and it wasn't the best part of Minneapolis. And there I was, and I'm thinking, well, I'm going to go into a bar and just get a double, man, and just, you know, wash the night away, because this, this is just god-awful. And who am I kidding? And um, I didn't do that. I went to the next block and to the next block, and I had the thought about seeing this guy uh, who was helping me. I said, well, get on the express by get to his house, and when I get off, I'll stop in a bar. If anyone's dealing, I'll, I'm just going to get something. I need something. And uh, next thing I know, I'm knocking on his door. And I've shared this story from a million of these podiums. Uh, and I, he opened the door and let me in, and I told him my tales of woe. Now, those of us who have been around a while know what newcomers are like, right? You say hello, and they talk for the next two hours. And they just keep talking, and they keep talking, and they start off here, and you wind up there, and that's what I did. And when I finally came up for air, he says, where are you with God in the 12 steps? And I says, when do you start the steps? And he says, when you stop throwing up and you're late. And he was firm, right between the eyes, and he didn't care if I got annoyed or my feelings were hurt. I didn't need a process group when I was done. (laughs) 
Uh, I didn't have to go see my counselor, call my, my sponsor, because this guy was my teacher, and I didn't like the answer. What I wanted was a hug. Let's go to the diner. <laughs> Let's read page 449 about acceptance. And, and uh, I was annoyed by him, but he gave me truth. And the thing is, I'd rather be accused of telling someone the truth than be accused of telling someone a lie. And when it comes to this thing, I've ruffled feathers many times in my day, purposely and unintentionally, but I don't care. Because someone's got to tell us the truth. And I'm very grateful to teachers who just leveled me. My first sponsor was, was, a, was a drill sergeant. And he would drop the F-bomb like I would eat M&M's. He just didn't care. But that's the way he delivered the message. And my second sponsor was, had a little cleaner language, but he lowered the boom at any given opportunity. Because I can't see my illness running my life. Other people can. And the last thing I need after 25 years of sobriety is someone co-signing my nonsense. It's the last thing I need because then they're guilty of killing me. So that's how this went for me. And uh, I went home and uh, I started reading this big book and started praying. And uh, there was one particular day uh, I was in Minneapolis and it was shortly before I came home. Now, I've been told by this man and many others... Make sure I pray. And it doesn't only have to be praying in the morning and praying in the evening. It be pray. Conscious contact and constant contact with God. It's the only thing I got blocking me from another drink. And I'm experiencing grace at that point. What I need to experience the power that gives me grace. And that's what I was lacking. And uh, it was uh, maybe April-ish. And um, I was uh, due to come home. And I'm out there now about 10 or 11 months or so. And it's still snowing in Minneapolis. There's like 14,000 feet of snow outside. It's sub-zero temperature. And I'm like, I'm feeling really alone. I can't get to a meeting. It's on way on the other side of town. I don't know how to get there. There's a snowstorm out, and I'm feeling it. I'm alone. Not alone like I like to be alone now, but lonely. And the walls, the room, it seemed like the walls of the room were come getting closer and closer and closer. And I was getting uncomfortable. I was getting very, very uncomfortable. And then the voices of the AA members came to me, including this one guy. And that was hit my knees and pray. And after prayer was to get to a meeting, which I was going to plan on doing that night. I couldn't get to one then. And the other thing was to read my big book. And they didn't say, where, I just read your big book. And I opened up to the chapter vision for you. And so I began reading from the beginning. And many of us are familiar with page 164. But by the time I got to page 164, I was crying. Out of gratitude. Out of relief. And I felt as if that kind of, that God presence now was in that room and the walls went back. And there was air back in my lungs. And I know this sounds silly until you've experienced this. I felt like the founding members were kind of circled around me. Bill and Bob and, and Chuck Chamberlain and Bill Dotson, they were all there for me. For me, only me. And I got through that day, got over that hurdle. And another hurdle, another hurdle, and so on and so forth. So I got to experience that sometimes when we are in what appears to be uh, the moments of desperation, when we really feel alone and there's nowhere to turn, what an opportunity God has presented to us, although it doesn't feel good, to develop a relationship with God. And over the years, my most difficult times seem to be the most intimate times with God. Okay. I'm real serious, girls. This is not no joke. Okay. I'm not a comedy routine. And you got to go outside and giggle it off, do it, because there's people dying. Yeah, I'm serious about that. Okay. What you're doing is bad as texting, and it's rude. 
My most difficult times in Alcoholics Anonymous on this path have been a present from God to turn back to him and develop a relationship with him. If it feels good, it doesn't mean it's good. If it feels bad, it doesn't mean it's bad. So some of the things that come to us are actually gifts from God to remove everything that's in the way. But it depends where I am, too, on this path. Am I in a place of compliance or surrender? Because if I'm in a place of compliance, I'm going to read the big book because you're reading the big book, and the group's reading the big book, and she and he's reading the big book, and maybe I can get a date because she's reading the big book, and I'll impress her with the big book, so this is good. But when it comes down to rubber hitting the road, I'm in a place of compliance, not surrender, and it's going to kind of pan out after a while. It's going to just kind of fade away. It's fashionable. Everyone else is doing it, so I'll do it. But when I'm all alone, how am I doing? If I'm in a place of surrender... I don't need anyone around me to convince me to pray to God. I don't need anyone around me because I have not some extra time to read my big book. It's what I do. It's who we be. And there can be nothing standing in the way from my own experience between me and God. And I can't have any obstacles in a way between me and God. First off, if I put anything between me and God, I'm going to lose anyway. It's been my experience. And God will remove things too. Is my recovery one of inspiration? Am I inspired during the day? Am I inspired during the week? Do I inspire others? Or do I have a a life of desperation? Inspiration or quiet desperation? Compliance or surrender? Have I gotten to a gut level that this is spiritual life or spiritual death? Because if I'm just getting my own experience, if I'm just going to meetings like I did in my first six months, I'm going to meetings, but the spirit wasn't awakened. It was there. There was nothing igniting it. It was just me running on self-reliance, and I was criticizing and critiquing and judging and taking inventory and looking at things I shouldn't be looking at, and nothing was happening, so the meetings weren't treating me. I was in quiet desperation, but guess what? My ego was starting to flex its muscles, and my ego was preventing me from talking to anyone about, hey, I'm in trouble. I'm not feeling good. I'm thinking about drinking until December 22nd, 1988. And that was in that desperation, in the not feeling good, was God again scooping me up. Inspiration, desperation. Spiritual life, spiritual death. Compliance or surrender. Am I willing to go to any lengths that are on God's terms or any lengths that are on my terms? What's that look like? The process of recovery is one big removal. Everything gets me removed. And the more that gets removed, it seems to be the healthier I get, the more weller I get, the more wellness I get to experience, the more God I get to experience. If there's something that I'm holding on to, it's going to be in a way between me and God. I've heard old timers say, God's a jealous God. You can't have another lover other than God, whatever it might be. And I need to surrender everything to it. The same thing held true for me when I hit my fourth step, which we've talked about, and I touched on step five last week. There can be no reservations or a lurking notion when I'm doing this work, and the only way I can approach this work is through God. If I was trying to write my fourth step on my own, it wouldn't work. If I was trying to do my fifth step on my own, it wouldn't work. So I had to surrender to God, and I think a couple of weeks ago, I talked about writing this, beginning to write a fourth step without prayer. And I would get a lot of distractions, or I wouldn't write. I'd write a little, justify, minimize, and then go to sleep, or I wouldn't write. i get things in the way until I bottomed out with that. 
And then I told my sponsor about it, and he read me the riot act. And I started to pray before I write, and I would pray when I was done. And I was told to write a prayer across the top of the page. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be searching, fearless, and moral. And I get some quiet time, and suddenly the pen became the spiritual translator, and I began to write resentment inventory, sex inventory, fear inventory, and so on. And suddenly I got done. When I got done with the fourth step, I had like, I don't know, about five, four or five spiral notebooks worth of material. My sponsor said, what an order. He can't go through with it at that point. Right? <laughs> but there were some things that happened. And this is what I found out. Uh, each time I do inventory, um, we're writing inventory and we're going from point A to point B. But it's in the writing that the awakening happens. It's in the, white, the writing that uh, uh, we start to experience God. In the wreckage, in the middle of all that writing, is when that relationship starts to blossom or even form. When I'm in the middle of the fourth column of resentment inventory and I see there's no way out, I'm going to God, I'm writing, I'm thanking God. I'm going to God, I'm writing, I'm thanking God. And that's all I'm thinking about. And I'm asking questions about it. I'm all in. Tremendous growth happens. It doesn't feel like it, but it does. If it, does, if it feels good, it doesn't mean it's good. If it feels bad, it doesn't mean it's bad. And when I'm writing inventory, it doesn't feel so good. I'm taking stock of me for the first time in my life. In fact, every time I write inventory, I get a new magnifying glass and I focus in on me. I mean, it's really funny. We love to talk about, it's always about me. Alcoholics love to talk about us, it's always about me. No matter what's going on, it's about me. And then we get inventory where it's really all about you and we don't do it. It's my inventory, not yours. It's my resentment, not yours. It's my third column, not yours. And we all do it tomorrow. But they ask me to talk about myself, I'll do it all night. Really, through God's uh, grace, I got done with the fourth step. And last week, we talked about step five as to what that was going to look like. It's a couple of things um, that I experienced during my fourth step, and that was intimacy. Intimacy not with another person, but intimacy with God for the first time. I was trusting and relying upon God. There was a part of me that was, had one foot in, like, this is going to work because it worked for my sponsor. I wasn't even looking at other AA members. My sponsor did it. He swore by it. He's my hero, so I'm going to do it. The other foot was in, who are you kidding? You're a chronic relapser. Sooner or later, you're going to blow this up anyway. And pen kept going to paper, and I kept writing and writing and writing. And the intimacy, uh, 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 this relationship with God started to kind of blossom for the first time. I was experiencing something I didn't experience before. And I look back on this many times, how although I didn't feel it while I was writing inventory, but my relationship started to change. The edges I was walking around with were getting sanded down. The ego, little by slowly, was getting grinded into dust through just the process of writing. I haven't even shared anything yet. Now, it didn't feel that way when I was writing inventory. When I come to a fourth column, even now, who wants to look at a fourth column? In the 12 and 12, it says, who cares to admit complete defeat in step one? I could apply that line to our fourth column. Who wants to take only my my inventory, our own inventory, and disregard what you did entirely. My whole life has been, I know I'm a little bit to blame, but you really ought to blame. In fact, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't have done that. Right? That's how most AA meetings are lately, right? Let's talk about ourselves, but we're going to blame somebody during our share at some point. 
If she didn't do this, if he didn't do that, my sponsor didn't do that, and it goes on and on. My sponsor's the greatest sponsor in the world. I can't believe I got Joe Smith as my sponsor. And two weeks later, I dumped him. He's a nut. Why? Because he gave me step work. Suddenly he's the bad guy. I mean, that's how we operate. The last thing I need to do is hear from someone truth, because I always live in a lie. I love the lie. I can improvise on a lie. But not when it comes to truth. The truth is the truth. That's it. There's no left or right, there's truth. And um, I'm writing and I'm developing this thing with God, but it didn't feel that way. This relationship and total dependence upon God. Because I, I, I might not be the brightest bulb in the box, but I know what's coming next. I'm going to share all of this stuff. I know there's a fifth step and he's waiting for me. And my first sponsor was brutal. And I know he's going to get it. And who's going to hear the sex inventory? Him. Oh, my God. How am I going to share this with another guy? And so the wheels were already spinning, but somehow God kept pushing the pen, and it became this spiritual translator. Go figure. I didn't need a college university degree to write an inventory. I didn't need to worry about my feelings and my issues and my triggers and all that other therapeutic stuff to write inventory. I just needed a notepad, a pen, and God, and off I went. And I started to write, and the pen started to move kind of just started to move and truth was revealed over and over and over again now the truth doesn't feel good when it first comes out there's tremendous amount of uh, freedom in fear there's a lot of pain in a lie although when i lie quickly it's nice quick i got you off my back i just made you believe something that's not true and i feel good about me and 10 minutes later it's barking at me again the truth doesn't always feel good especially when it's about me because it means I have to t reveal everything to you. And the only way that was possible for someone like me, who was a constantly lying, was God. So the, 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 the relationship with this power called God was developing right away. Although it doesn't feel like it comes to fruition until maybe we're in 9, maybe 6 and 7, maybe in 10 and 11. But it's certainly there. So if anyone's writing inventory, inventory doesn't feel good. If you're writing inventory and it feels really good, you're not writing inventory. You're writing an autobiography. Well, you're writing all the good things about me too. You hear this one that goes around? Write about the bad things and the good things about you. That's therapeutic nonsense that kills people like us. The last thing my ego needs to know is how good it was when I was out there. And I, I did do some good things when I was drinking. I did no good things when I was drinking. Next. Right? Now, the ego doesn't want any part of that. The ego wants no part of that. The ego wants to get stroked just a little bit. Just, to, just put me in the corner for a little while because I'll come back. And so what 4 and 5, actually 4 through 9 does is rip the ego and grind it into dust if we're doing this work. Will it reemerge? Absolutely. Depending on how diligent I am in 10, 11, and 12 and reworking the steps and growing and understanding and effecting this. this is, I'm never cured of this thing. Get recovered, yeah, but never cured. Alcoholism will go lay wait in the next room. It'll wait 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. It'll lay in wait. You don't need to write inventory. You're good. You don't need to call your speaker. You don't even need a sponsor. You know, just check in with your sponsor. I love this one. You're my sponsor. Just call it check in. I'm not the holiday in. Don't check in. Right. So I got done with this War and Peace novel. And as I shared last week, it was about going to my sponsor now. And I know there's stuff in there that he's going to hear that, I'm not un that I am uncomfortable with. 
I mean, God pushed the pen, put down a sex inventory, put down a fear inventory, put down a principles institutions inventory, put down a resentment inventory. And some of it was okay. You know, resentment, Joe, he did this. Resentment, Mary, she did that. When it came to other things, starting with the major resentments I had with my mom and my dad, that was shameful. You know, how ungrateful am I that I'm going to write about mom? Mom's dead. How can I write about mom? Mom overdosed. Mom committed suicide. How can I have a resentment with this woman? But they were plenty. Sex inventory. I'm a man. No one knows about this. I'm just a stud. Let's get that straight right from the beginning, right? right. What are you laughing at me for? <laughs> Guys, you know what I'm talking about. We're, men's, we're men, men among men. We have no secrets. Not true. <laughs> we were faithful in every relationship. Not true. Somebody's going to hear this. And other things. And who was I going to tell about some of the sexual abuse things I was a victim of? Because if I told you that, you probably, this is my judgmentalness. If I tell you this, you're going to probably think I'm different. Maybe I'm not heterosexual because I was sexually abused between ages 8 and 10. You might think it was my fault. I'm judging you. You didn't do anything. I'm already sizing you up. So no one's going to talk about that. Let's keep that one there. And I go back into bondage. And I knew this stuff was coming. How do I share this? And this is why sponsorship, not for the obvious, you have to get a sponsor because that's what they tell us to do. And that's what most people walk around. I have to get a sponsor to satisfy the masses. We get a sponsor because he's our teacher. She's our teacher. It's a God, one of God's angels who knows where you have walked to get in there and pull you out of the mud and can read you when you're feeling ashamed, can feel, can feel the anger in you when it's starting to build up and you're talking to them and just knows by looking at your eyes, you're full of baloney. They are a spiritual teacher. And as brutal as my first sponsor was, he was a guru. He read me as soon as I walked in the room. And what he did during the very delicate, sensitive issues in step five, he knew where I was. And I would mumble. The, the writing was scribbled on the page. And he says, how much shame and embarrassment do you have feeling about this? Let's go home and write about that. He was a teacher. And sponsors are teachers. And if your sponsor's not teaching, get a new sponsor. If, co if your sponsor's co-signing your illness, get a new sponsor. Sponsor's a teacher who's walked the same road, maybe a different town, maybe a different tax bracket, maybe a different color, different religion, but has walked the alcoholic road, knows where you are before you even get there, and pulls you and, and, and teaches you and instructs you and puts you back together. That's God's work. Step five is really proof of the great love God has for people like us. Because he could have sent this off to, we could be sitting in a shrink's office, getting medicated and being in therapy for the next 30 years, and drinking the whole time. He could have sent us to a, 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 a medical doctor, uh, institutions. There's many, many more qualified people than us who know about the inner workings of the mind. But he gave this to another drunk, which we read at the end of the meeting anyway. Great power that God had in us, to, to give us. So we're working with someone because they, they know the walk. You know how you can smell a drunk? I don't mean literally smell, but you just, this guy's an AA. Did you ever do that? You're talking to someone, this guy definitely an AA. I know he is. And sure as anything, he is. Right? Or sometimes you go, this guy needs to be an AA. <laughs> Fort Lauderdale, that happens a lot. <laughs> but that's that, 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 
quiet voice, that sixth sense that our book talks about. And my thing has been for years, I mean, we know of five senses God gave us. A book refers to the sixth sense. And I've always said this, and I'm probably wrong, but I'll still believe it, that God really gave us the sixth sense. We talk about five because they're very tangible. We know the five. They're very tangible. This sixth sense is that intuitiveness. This, that, that thing where you just know. Somehow you just know. I can smell a drunk. I sense this person is in pain. I sense this person is lying. I just, there's something. Or you're hearing a fifth step and you know there's more to this and somehow words come out of your mouth. You ask a question that you're amazed that you had the insight to even ask that question. That's the God track. Step five is a very powerful thing. If you haven't done one or heard it, it's incredible what goes on because it's just as nourishing for the listener as it is to the person sharing it. But we have to listen and go in with the drunk and guide them and steer them and coddle and sometimes just call them on the nonsense, which is all done for me. It's still done for me. My teachers say, bullshit. That's not you. Go home and rewrite that. And I would, only because I didn't want to go back to where I was. My first fifth step experience was interesting because when it came to the sex inventory, um, I thought my sponsor was going to throw me out of his house. Um, I had um, abuse issues. I had anger issues. I was never faithful in a relationship, and I thought he was going to judge me. And when I read it, he shared some of his stuff with me. That was almost like it paralleled. And when it came to the sexual abuse stuff, I saw my guys and think I'm less than a man and think I, you know, what, what I did here. And he shared almost identical stuff happened to him around the same age from a relative. <sighs> Thank you, God. And how he navigated, how he was able to get navigated out of that and heal that. Incredible stuff that goes on in step five. What I have found out is I do the one through nine at least once a year. To kill the ego, to kill self for successful living. Because the ego will reconstruct, it will rebuild. And I can't have a current experience off an old experience. I can't, uh, I didn't get full, I don't stay full today on yesterday's food. So I have to constantly get my soul food, constantly nourish the spirit. Which means the death of self for successful living, the killing off of the ego. So I can be present. If I'm not present, it's because I'm driven by voices from the past. And if I'm driven by voices from the past, I still have unreconciled issues that need to be reconciled, need to be healed so I can be present and then move forward. Because what I'm saying right now, if I'm still living in the past, is based on old belief systems. They're useless to you. They're useless to me. My behavior, who I be, is based on old stuff that's never been resolved, never been healed. So I'm, even though I'm in front of you talking to you, I'm not in front of you talking to you. You have an old guy still here with you now. I'm unreliable. I'm trying to give you something that happened to me maybe in AA 10, 15 years ago. Oh, when I got sober. Oh, when I went through the work. That's useless to me right now. Where are you currently? Were you sober and angelic 10 years ago and now you're a horse thief now? I don't need to talk to you now. I was honest in my relationships. I paid my taxes my first year of sobriety. Now I'm wanted by 30 states. I mean, you don't need me as a sponsor. 
Where are we currently? And that's something to take a, take a look at. Where are we currently in the work? Where are we currently with our, in our relationship with God? Where am I currently with the people I sponsor? Currently with my sponsor. Where am I currently? Where do I stand tonight? Do I have a sponsor? Do I sponsor men? When did I pray last? When did I last write inventory? When did I read my big book or some inspirational literature? How honest have I been with the, with the most uh, uh, influential person in my life? Perhaps my sponsor. Or do I tell my sponsor a little bit, but not everything? And they get off the phone and say, I have a sponsor. That's called compliance. Can I un, uh, uh, reveal everything to my sponsor? And everything means everything. Whether it's an inventory or a discussion. And do I do that regularly? Or do it once in a while when the flame's on my back again? Step five, last, last week we shared about some of the promises on page uh, 75. And it says, uh, returning home we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour. This is after the promises. It says, we thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from the shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. It says, we read through the five steps and we ask ourselves some questions. Have we omitted anything? Is our work solid? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skipped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? What Bill is doing over and over again is asking the same question. But he knows how we are. We'll find a loophole in everything. So Bill threw it out this way, threw it out that way, threw it out this way, threw it out that way to kind of close up the loopholes. And what he's asking simply, have you left anything out, Pete? Purposely? Or did you forget something when you got home after the hour? Are we clear? Is everything on board? And he gives us that last opportunity before we go into 6 and 7. Are we clear? Have we been truthful? And what happens is sometimes we get back into the car and we say, oh, I didn't talk about that. The problem is we've, we've awakened a little bit. We can't get away with that anymore. It's way too painful. The stuff I could get away with in my first six months would kill me right now. Or perhaps we get home and in the quiet hour, something gets revealed to us that says, oh, I just thought of something. So we call up the sponsor, I just thought about something. And he'll tell me to write it, and then I report back to him. And what I did with, with these questions uh, on page 75, I go through the first uh, four steps just to kind of close up some more loopholes based on my experience with some people that I've sponsored. And simply, these questions that I have are about asking, have we been really thorough about everything? Am I clear on step one? Because the book says we looked at the first five proposals. Right? Am I really clear that after completing my fifth step, I know I'm an alcoholic and my life's unmanageable, drunk or sober? I have no power, choice, control, drunk or sober? Am I clear that this power is going to take me to a place of sanity, wholeness of mind, a new relationship with God where the insane thoughts aren't coming back anymore, not only with booze but perhaps with the sex spree, the food spree, the money spree, the spree? Am I clear that I have to turn things over to God or the illness will pull me right back? Have I been searching fearless and moral or just a little bit? You know, just tell them a little, give them a little, give them a little taste of my life, but not the whole thing. And not until that point can I move on. One of the great things revealed to me a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about this, this image, the image I portray for you, and the image I would have to keep going for the voice in my head that no matter what 
I put on for clothes, no matter what I drove, no matter who I dated, no matter where I lived, the voice would say, that's it? Look at you. You're still you. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're not much of a man. You don't have enough money. And it went on and on and on. So I would go out there and try to get more to satisfy the voice in the head. This process of recovery, I've said from a million podiums, is about going home. Someone put it more clearly. It's a forward journey backwards. It's a forward journey. We're going through the steps, and we're obviously making progress under the guidance of a teacher, a sponsor, following the instructions in the big book. And here we are. We're starting to evolve. We're starting to wake, and things are starting to fall by the wayside. The ego is starting to get grinded into dust. Self is starting to die, and we appear to be going forward. In reality, what we're doing is we're going home. It's a forward journey backwards. Backwards to what God created at the beginning. Pure, honest, unselfish, and loving. Like a three-year-old. And guess what? For me in front of my God, I better be like a child in front of God. I better be that impressionable with God. I better be that amazed about the miracles of God. And not look at God or others with a tainted view anymore. That's being childlike. And that's how I want to be. Walking around a 53-year-old. How old am I? 53? 50? I don't know. I'm too old. I don't want to be too smart for my own good. I want to have a beginner's mind. I want to be childlike which is how I need to be. There's another book that talks about that. We go home. The process of recovery is removal, never addition, and we go home to what God created, purity, honesty, and selfishness and love. And my life has been one of putting these bandages around this empty shell. Bandages in relationships, bandages in money, bandages in cars, bandages in a job, bandages in advancement, improvement, educate, whatever it was. Just give me something to fill up this nothing. And it works for a little while. When I drive up in a brand new car, look at me. I've arrived. I have a new Cadillac. I'm somebody. And I'm now with the new car. You better come over and say, you're somebody. Because i got to trade the car in tomorrow morning if it doesn't work. And then you drive by in a new Mercedes and suddenly my Cadillac looks like a pair of roller skates and I'm back to scratch again. I gotta buy the bigger house. I gotta do, I gotta do. And I'm putting these bandages of the external world on this empty shell and it doesn't work. It's an exercise of futility. And the interesting thing happens once we lock into God. I don't need any of that. It's nice to have, but I don't need, I'm not dependent upon that. External conditions are never a remedy for the internal illness that's killing me. And I keep getting, as one gentleman, uh, one of my teachers says, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. That's me. And please applaud. Please say great things about me. Please say you love me. If you like me, that's not enough. Say you love me with a certain inflection on cue then we'll be okay. It's a forward journey backwards. And I keep putting these bandages around me, and that's what I learned in step five. Empty on the inside, and I need stuff to make me feel okay. Okayness within. Fix this insecurity rather than being secure within. It's one big lie I was living my entire life, always reaching out and trying to fill up. And I put these unrealistic expectations on people. I learned that in every inventory. Even the last inventory did. These unrealistic expectations on people for one reason, to make me feel okay. 
to give me what I want. And if you don't, I gossip about your character assassinate. I wouldn't talk to you, snub you. I'd be suspicious of you. And God forbid you were to give me truth and hit me between the eyes. I don't talk to you anymore. Accountability to a sponsor really separates the men from the boys and the girls from the women. I got done with step five, went home for the hour. I looked at these considerations. And I didn't experience the fifth step promises until I was in step six and seven. And then it kind of blew up for me in nine where everything looked different. Everything looked different. Everything felt different. I went home. My bartender, I'm busy. <laughs> Going back to purity, honesty, unselfishness, and love. I couldn't do that on my best day, on my own power. But something happens in the removal of self. So I finished the hour. I answered these questions. And I got to sit for that hour. And um, I moved on to six and seven. Now, it's an interesting story I like to tell uh, when I do this stuff about what happened to me um, going through the work a handful of times. I have an experience with six and seven that was really pivotal for me, and it was delivered to me by God. Remember, if it feels good, it doesn't mean it's good. If it feels bad, it doesn't mean it's bad. And here I am in step six, looking at the considerations um, and moving on to the seven-step prayer. And uh, I went into meditation. And I was, uh, something came to me in meditation, and it was a prayer. And the prayer was, God, please save me from me. Because what I realized, it was truth was given to me in the stillness, God will speak and we can hear. We go into to, to darkness to see and silence to hear. And I was made abundantly aware that the biggest guy in the bar wasn't going to hurt me. The most vicious drug dealer wasn't going to hurt me. The IRS of the cops weren't going to hurt me. What was going to hurt me was me. I'm my own worst enemy. That was a tough pill to swallow because it was much easier to say, hey, it's your fault the reason why I turned out the way I did. And if you would have done that, I would have been different. It was me. I'm my own worst enemy. God's please save me from me. Then I start to feel really uncomfortable. I start to feel physically ill. I felt like I was vibrating on the inside. I felt as if I'd never been to an AA meeting in my life. There were no th thoughts about drinking, but I felt raw, like a raw nerve, sitting in as a meeting of, as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, like I didn't have a sponsor, exposed. Oh, my God. I didn't know what to do with that. And I was shaking, I remember shaking, butterflies. And I called up my sponsor and I told, I says, Mark, here's what's going on. And I'll never forget what he did. He says, it sounds like you're having an experience and hung up the phone. It's exactly what he did. Kind of what, what Silky did with Bill. It's better than what you have and walked out. He didn't have a group for him. Well, let's talk about, Pete, what you're feeling right now can't be true let's 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 talk about your feelings you have he just says better when you and hung up the phone sounds like having an experience hung up the phone he was right he didn't he was big enough and awake enough not to get in the middle of that god experience if it feels good doesn't mean it's good if it feels bad doesn't mean it's bad what i was experiencing looking back on it now was what we talk about a lot in aa is the death of self a successful living that self has to die and that's what was going on that didn't feel good Everything I thought was me, everything I thought was God, everything I thought was AA was being squashed down to nothing. So what would emerge out of that was what God created at the beginning. It was incredibly uncomfortable. There was something that took place in my home 
that Sunday. And every fiber of my being wanted to put my hands on the wheel and control the outcome and go back to doing what I was doing. And as if it was as if this field came down, this force field, and wouldn't allow me to do what I wanted to do coming out of my mind, the predator. And I was placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. And a day later, I was so glad I didn't get involved because it would have been made worse. And that was the beginning, the infancy of this new experience with God, a deeper relationship with God. When we're going in with God, when, we're having, when I'm having a relationship with God, sometimes I'm not even aware it's going on. All I know is lots of times I'm made very uncomfortable because the dismantling of the self and the ego is taking place. I cannot have a relationship with God when ego is in the middle of it. I cannot have a relationship with God when I'm in the middle of it. When I do these talks, I hope I don't show up. It's just God and me, the spirit, and nothing can in, be in between. And if there is, what I have is a false God. My car is my God. My relationship is my God. My money is my God. Oh, and then there's God. Everything got removed. And another gift from God. And when we go in with God, when we start to develop this intimate relationship with God, it isn't always wonderful. It can be uncomfortable. God's not making us uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable because I was experienced the grinding of the ego into dust in the depth of self. That doesn't feel good. Everything I thought was me is not me. Everything I thought was God is not God. In fact, anything <clears throat> my mind comes up with that says this God, it's not God. But this power can be experienced. Work with a drunk intensely. You'll experience God. A lot of aggravation, but you'll experience God. Everything I thought my life was supposed to look like was revealed to me. No, it is not. I thought I was supposed to be doing certain things. No, you're not. I thought I was supposed to have so much money by now. No, you're not. <clears throat> God gives me the money to play with. God gives me the job to go work. God gives me the car. God puts people in my life. It's none of my business. My business is having a relationship with God. And I've been given 12 steps. What I don't get lots of times, and I was guilty of it my first six months, we come into Alcoholics Anonymous, a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. We have an abundance of information and an abundance of teachers. People from other fellowships leave their fellowships to come to AA. Because of this book and our message. And so many of us are dying in AA saying, I didn't get sober. They weren't talking about the book. You ain't looking. I don't know about you, but when I was using dry goods and I went to my spot and no one was there, I didn't go home. I found another spot. Oh, my home group has changed. I'm leaving. I'm taking my ball and going home. So I got done with the fifth step, and uh, we got to 6 and 7, which is on page 76. If I don't turn to God and have God deal or work on my defects, my defects will work and deal with me. One of the things I got to look at through inventory is how many of my defects are fueled by fear, all of them. And the defects give birth to other defects. Defects beget defects. And only God can remove them. I can't work on my defects. Can't work. I'm working on my defects. Good luck. Because the same mind that creates the defects is the same mind that you think, I think, is going to do away with them. It's what uh, has free room and board in my mind. All my defects. They don't want to move. 
I can't work about them. What step six says is I hit my knees. Step seven says I do a prayer and I become willing. As Bill says, root and branch to be changed and it's none of my business how I'm going to be changed. Some of the defects, I think, have to be removed and God says, no, they just need to be tweaked. What I think is good might be bad. What I think is bad might be good. It's none of my business, but it's a surrender. And step six asks us some questions. It says... Are we ready to uh, let God remove from us all the things which we admitted are objectionable? All. Can God take them all, every one? He better. Because I'm, I'm in serious trouble if he doesn't. It says at the beginning of step six something very key that sometimes we can roll right over. It opens up step six and says, if we can answer to our own satisfaction, the question's on page 75. We look at step six. If we can answer to our own side, it's very interesting because there's been a shift. Step six and seven, we can do alone. We don't need someone standing over us. It's between me and God. If we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. It tells me, am I clear at a gut level that I've been searching for some all across the board here? If I answer these questions, yes. I move into step seven, which is really an extension of step three, prayer. There's an amen here. And we're going to God once again to remove good and bad because it's not my business, but I think is good might be bad and vice versa. And the seven-step prayer is not about me. It's about being of maximum service to God and people around us. To be cleaned some more, to be shaped some more, to touch of the master's hand because I'm about now to go out there and repair with God's power, and there's an amen at the end of the seven-step prayer. We've closed up this body of work of going in and searching. And next week we'll talk more about it. I'm out of time. Thank you.